Amen. I'm preaching this morning. I titled my message just to maybe get under some religious skin, but, but I called it Dancing with God. Dancing with God. And, you know, religious mindsets have a hard time accepting that God might dance with, with us. Now, before we get into the, the key text, let me ask a question. Have, have, you, uh, have you ever met anybody who is longing to be rejected? Uh, to be spurned, to be, you know, cast aside. Have you ever met anybody looking to be rejected? No, you haven't. I, I don't think so. Um, why? Because rejection hurts. Rejection hurts. And it hurts like few other hurts possibly hurt, right? Now think about it. If you, when you were a child and you fell and broke your arm at school, that arm hurt for a while, didn't it? You went to the doctor, they put a cast on your arm, and then you went back to school. And when you went back to school, more than likely you were a bit of a hero. They, the other kids wanted to sign your cast. You became popular, right? But now imagine for a second that, that same child, not breaking their arm, but being ridiculed, being made fun of, being uh, ostracized by their friends at school. That rejection produces a hurt that doesn't go away as easily as a hurt broken arm. The, the child will, may go home and, and the parent, the loving mother or father, they... They feel compassion toward their child, and they try to console the, the rejected hurt of that child. But I mean, know that their comfort produces little, 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 does little, very little, because that rejection has gotten into the child's heart. And when the child goes back to school the next day, they go with that sense of rejection, that sense of hurt. Uh, this type of re rejection is a type of hurt that doesn't go away very easily, very, very quickly. And, and, and rejection, you imagine that child, that child, you know, as a, as a result of the rejection, when they go back to school, they hide their true self. They're, they're not free to be themselves. They're, they're guarded, tentative, and suspicious, right? And, and, and in the same way, in our lives, when we feel rejected, uh, you know, it causes us to, 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 to guard ourselves, to be tentative, to, to try and prove ourselves to others, to try and prove our, our value and our, our self-worth. And that hurt in our lives causes us to hurt ourselves, to hurt others. And, or we, we, we work very hard to try and prove we have value. Or, or we turn to substance, substance abuse, to, to placate the, the hurt in our hearts. Or, or we may turn to sexual adventure just to, you know, all to quiet that voice or to find our, or to prove our value and to discover our, our dignity. Now, let me ask the question, why do we hurt when we're rejected? That part I just said we all get because we get being hurt is not fun. But why do we hurt? Well, I would propose that we hurt because we were created. We were wired for. We were made for acceptance and approval. God created us to live in acceptance. Like a fish in water. A fish is created to live in water, right? If you take a fish out of water, what happens? The fish, ask to Gandhi, he loves to fish. The fish squirms around on the, on the ground violently. There's no hitting the fish. There's no punishment of the fish. The fish suffers because he or she, the fish is out of its natural environment, water. In the same way, when we're taken out of the place of acceptance, we hurt. We, we hurt like a fish out of, out of water. Now follow me here. The evil one. How many know we have an enemy? The evil one. And the evil one, he knows how we've been made. He understands our, how we were created and how we were wired for acceptance and approval. And so his goal, his number one goal is to take us out of 
this place of acceptance. Because like a fish out of water, like a fish thrives in water, you and I thrive in acceptance. And if we're outside of that acceptance, our lives, they denigrate, they, they fall apart. And so his, the evil one's most perverse trick is to tamper with our acceptance to, to convince us that, we are, that we're rejected, no one likes us, that we're not good enough. And that hurt, like that, like that child who is made fun of at school and goes back guarded, you know, that hurt, it changes us, it, it wounds us, and we live with that sense of, I'm not good enough. Now, the evil one's most deceptive tool, if his, if his perverse trip is, trick is to mess with our acceptance to make us feel not valued, his most deceptive tool, are you ready for this? His most deceptive tool is false religious lies. Because false religious lies transform our God from a loving father into a white-gloved legalist who's looking to trip you up. And in that understanding, we can't find unearned acceptance and approval. And like a fish out of water, we never truly find our sense of self-worth, our purpose, and our value that's found in God's acceptance. We were created for acceptance, yes. Acceptance that was meant to be found in the Father's embrace, in the Father's love. And when we don't experience that because of these false religious lies, we try to find it elsewhere. Now Jesus came to destroy this darkened understanding, to destroy this notion about God, to reintroduce us to who the Father really is and to bring us back into that relationship. And many times in the Gospels we see a Jesus who's deeply offended, deeply angry at the religious leaders. Why? Because they were presenting a wrong-headed belief about who the Father was. They were telling people they had to do this and to that for God to accept them. And they were keeping people trapped in this insecurity and fear. And so Jesus, perhaps one of his most direct attacks on this wrong-headed belief system about who God is that kept mankind, that kept people trapped in this sense of inferiority and shame and no acceptance from the Father, he told a parable. And he told the parable of a dancing father. And this is the key text for today's message the dancing father. Luke chapter 15, we're going to read. Now I'm going to read from the message translation written by Eugene Peterson. And you probably don't carry the message translation with you, so you can read along with me on the screens. But let's read. And then he said, Jesus is talking here to religious leaders who are putting burdens on people, telling them that, that God doesn't accept them, etc., etc. So Jesus tells this story, and he said, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before the son had packed his bags and he left for a distant country. And there, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything that he had. And after he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine throughout all that country. And he began to hurt. Notice that phrase, he began to you see, hurt is a result of broken relationship. The son left the father's house. Hurt was the result. No mention of the father's punishment, just the result. Now let's continue reading. He signed on with a citizen there in that other country who assigned him to his fields to slop the pigs. He was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands work for my father. 
sit down to eat three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got right up and he went home to his father. What changed? He remembered, my father is still my father. My father is still my father. He didn't change being father because of my actions. So we continue reading. This is amazing. This is amazing. Verse 20. When he was still, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, he embraced him, and he kissed him. The son started into his speech. He had been rehearsing this speech for a long time. The son started into his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. Remember, this is a picture of God, the father. But in the midst of that speech, the verse 22, but the father wasn't even listening. He was calling out to his servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes, dress him, put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, then get the grain heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. He's been given up for dead, but now he's alive, given up for lost, and now he is found. And they began to have a wonderful time. You see, religion makes a lot of our remorse, our penance before the Father. Here we see the father wasn't even listening. Let's keep reading. We're not done yet. Verse 25. All this time his older son was out in the field. When the day's work was done, he came in. He approached the house. He heard the music and the dancing. The dancing. Who was dancing? The father. And so calling out to the houseboys, he asked what was going on. And he told them, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast. Barbecued beef. Because he's home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and he refused to join in. But notice the, the father didn't quit on the brother. His father came out and he tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But you, have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Notice the party wasn't for him and the father. The party was just him and his friends. In other words, the guy didn't get who his father was. His father loved to party. That's our God, by the way. Whew. Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on horse shows up and goes out, goes all out with a feast. His father says, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that I have is yours. Remember at the beginning, he split the inheritance between the two. It was already his. But this is a wonderful time, and we have to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he is found. And many times, let me say, we call this the parable of the prodigal son, don't we? And, and I guess you could. There's nothing wrong with that. I've called it that many times. But really, this is the parable of the loving father, because it's all about the father. And Jesus uses this story to reveal to us the shocking truth. Of who God is. A God who throws parties for people who haven't even gone through their penance speech. A God who, throws, who loves to have a good time and dances with his children. And this parable reveals how God thinks. How he acts towards us and his heart towards us today. And perhaps, this is a very famous parable, and it perhaps it is because it's the clearest example in the scriptures of who the Father is towards us today. 
And the point of Jesus giving this direct on attack to the Pharisees, he was aiming straight for the heart of the evil one's power in our lives. And the evil one only has lies. And this lie that God doesn't accept you unless you're perfect, unless you've lived up to some, some, some high level of expectation, then he doesn't accept you. That rejection shuts us down. And that lack of value causes us to find value in other places that ends us up in a whole lot of mess. You see, the religious lie was that God was an austere, dis distant, judgmental deity. But Jesus said, no, he's nothing like you believed. He's the God. He's a father who loves to dance. Whoo. So what Jesus does here in this parable, he picks the worst possible person. The worst. This son is a pitiful excuse for a son. Pitiful. Pitiful. And yet, he has the father... Run after this pitiful excuse. And when he finds him, he dances before he's ever had a chance to prove himself that he will stick to what he's committed to. You see, to the false religious leaders, this son, he didn't have a snowball's chance in a hot tub of gaining acceptance with the father. You know, you know a snowball and a hot tub don't go together, right? I had to clarify. It's becoming winter, so we know what snowballs are now, right? But... But, you know, this son, he had done nothing to qualify. In fact, he had done everything to disqualify himself. And yet here was the father who, who, who celebrating a son who had done nothing for him. And now this son, he is the object of his father's intense embrace, his intense love and excitement. And so Jesus here, he's painting a picture. Painting a picture that, that, we, we, that, we're gonna, that we can't help but not understand. He paints a picture who's like a god on a balcony who's searching, who's, who's just waiting and longing for his children to come home. And this is, the god that, this is the God that we serve today. Perhaps one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture is this. When he was still a far way off, when he was still a far way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, he ran out and he embraced him. When he was a far way off. Today we talk like that, you know, they're backslidden or they've gone away from God. A far way off, his father runs and embraces him. This is perhaps the clearest picture of the father in the scriptures today. And this parable, it's a direct attack on this wrong-headed belief about who the father is. In other words, you know, he's not, a, I have some pictures. You want some pictures? He's not a bookkeeper. Go put up the picture of a bookkeeper. It's Christmas time. How many know Scrooge? Scrooge, this is a picture of Scrooge. Scrooge is a bookkeeper. He's a penny-pitching bookkeeper. But you know what? Even though false religion might believe that God is a penny-pitching bookkeeper, counting every penny in your life and making sure that you've done everything just right, God is not that. And Jesus, he said he's not, a, nor is he a white-glove legalist. You know what a white glove is going around, just inspecting, making sure there's no dust on anything, your shoes or your countertop or any part of your, of your you know, some people see, see God as that, right? Going around with a white glove in your life, making sure you didn't have any wrong thoughts or you didn't say anything wrong or you didn't have any wrong motives. And if he finds any dust on his glove, well, then you are out of acceptance. Jesus told this parable to just destroy these, these understandings. Or, or here's a good one. You know, many people see God as a God who's looking just to wash us in Listerine. List, I mean, no, Listerine. It's good to use every morning and every night. I do myself. But, but God is not looking to wash you in Listerine. I mean, no, Listerine, it cleanses, it purifies. Right now, God wants to cleanse us and purify us. But, but, but having this picture of a God, that's his only intention. 
to wash you in Listerine, or, or like, or like keep, check keeping a, or, or a picture of a God who's keeping a list and checking it twice. You know, that's Santa Claus. See, if you're naughty, you're nice. And if you're naughty, he gives you coal. And if you're good, that's Santa Claus. That's not God. And yet, unfortunately, even in, G in Jesus' time and even today, people still see God like that. But this parable, Jesus, and I'm going somewhere with it, Jesus confronts with a picture of a God who's nothing like that, but a God who dances with a son who has yet to prove himself. Celebrates him. Instead, he paints a picture of a father dancing with his son. And I love this picture. I love this picture. I found it online. But a picture of a father dancing with his son. You see, if you put up, you know, religious minds have a harder time looking at God as a dancing father than if I had put up any of those other pictures. Any of those other pictures, no one's really going to, of the, of the judge bookkeeper and of the, you know, the angry deed, all, you know, the, the white glove. Nobody really gets upset. But you put up a picture and say, that's what God looks like? A dancing father? People get offended. But don't you know you can't approach God like that? God is holy. God is this. God is that. Yes, he is all of that. But Jesus came to say yes. But he looks like that. A dancing father. And yet, if I put up a picture, go to the next picture. If I put up a picture like that, most, most religious false people that believe this lie would have an easier time accepting this as the father than the dancing father that I put up before. You see how this evil one has just grotesquely messed up with our minds. Mess with this religious lie. And so Jesus comes with this direct attack and he says that is not what the Father, the Father looks like one who is dancing, who loves to have a good time and loves to party. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves to party. You notice in that parable there was no mention of forgiveness. By the way, you say, well, you say, well, he's a really like to party. Yes, look at Jesus. You know, nine times out of ten, Jesus was found at a party. Anyhow, moving right along. There was no mention of, you know, in this parable, there was no mention of forgiveness. We make a big deal of, I got to, you know, show enough remorse so that God forgives. You know, there's no mention of forgiveness. The father wasn't even listening. Why? Because the father had already forgiven the son. And this is a picture of the gospel that God has already forgiven you. Now come into his embrace. And what changes in the son, what changes in this story is when the son realizes he's still my father. Whatever I do doesn't change the fact he is my father. But even in that understanding, he thinks like many of us do in legal terms. And the, and the son thought, well, if I go through my rehearsed speech, then maybe he'll accept me back as a servant. He was thinking in legal terms. I've done wrong. Now I need to show enough penance and enough remorse. But, 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 but even that rehearsed speech, before he could get it out of his mouth, the father wasn't even listening. Jesus says, by the way, that's God, full stop. Be like he just dropped the microphone and walked off. That's the Father. That's the Father. And yet, like the Son, many times we think in legal terms. We think about like that when it comes to prayer. Will God answer my prayer? Have I fasted? Have I done this? Have I done that? Have I proved myself? You know, we're thinking in legal terms. I need to earn it. You know, this story of the Father is the, story, is the Father being good because of who he is. He's Father and he's good. But what happens is this lie seeps into our thinking, and then we read the scriptures and we misinterpret who God is. Like the older brother in the story, he lived with the father, but he misinterpreted who the father was. And our minds, because our minds can't accept how good the father is, you think it would be easy. But the, I mean, think about it. The older brother lived with his father, and he couldn't get it. And like the older brother, many of us misread who God, we're like, our minds are like misreading machines and we misread uh, what God's like. And so we read things in the scriptures and, and we interpret them 
to paint a different picture of God. Yes, God is good. We see Jesus, and Jesus is nice. He's the nice God. But then the Father, he's, he's austere. He's distant. He's like that, that bookkeeper. And so we read terms in the scriptures like God's wrath or God's holiness, and we interpret them to be something different. Can I propose to us today that God's wrath and his holiness are no different than what we read in this parable? Because Jesus says, this is who God is. This is who the Father is. And so oftentimes when we read about the wrath of God or the holiness of God, we misinterpret it and we don't see the Father. We say, but Nathan, where is the wrath of God in this story? Well, I would propose to us today that God's wrath is seen in this parable. The ra- the, 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 God's wrath is seen in this parable. No, no, go back. You're at the right one, the verse. Go back there. You're ahead of me. You're fast, but you're good. Go back there for a second. Now, I am proposing that God's wrath is in this Luke 15 parable. So how do I say that? Well, follow me. What is God's wrath? Perhaps the clearest teaching on God's wrath is found in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where it says the wrath of God is revealed against, from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Go to verse, I think it's 24. Go to the next verse. Therefore, so this is God's wrath revealed, right? You following me? Look at your neighbor and say, this is God's wrath revealed. God gave them up to uncleanliness. Verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, God gave them over. Does this wrath sound like a a fist in the face? Does this wrath sound like a Listerine wash? Does this wrath sound like punishment? Does this wrath sound like anger? What is this? No, it sounds like a God who allowed man to go their own way. With their free will and free choice, he allowed them to go their own way and allowed them to experience their own consequences. And so, if we look at this parable, did the son, did the father allow his son to go his own way? Yes, that's the wrath of God. He allowed him to go his own way. And did the son experience the consequences of his choices? Was it pretty? No, he hurt. He, he ended up losing everything that he had. But this wasn't the father punishing the son. This was simply the father allowing the son to experience the consequences of his choices. He, he didn't give him a robotic mind, but he allowed him a free will to, to choose. Now, watch this. Even if punishment had crossed the mind of the father, and I'm not saying it did. Look at Luke 15. Was there any punishment on the mind of the father? But even if punishment was on the mind of the father, the father did not need to punish the son. Why? Because his actions brought about their own consequences, and they punished him on his own, on their own. He hurt. He ended up losing everything that he had. And so, in the same way today, when we believe this lie that we're not accepted that we're no longer sons and daughters irrevocably on our best day, on our worst day, whatever we've done. When we believe that lie, we make a life of hell of our own making. We experience the consequences like a fish out of water. When DeGandhi goes fishing and he brings that fish out of the water and he puts it on, DeGandhi's our security man here, by the way, if you didn't know, and he loves fishing. But anyhow, when he brings that fish out of the water and puts it on the ground, you know, that fish is in pain. That fish is hurting. Gandhi doesn't need to beat that fish over the head to make it pain. No, it's in pain because it's out of its environment where, it's, where it belongs. In the same way, when we live outside of our environment of being accepted by the Father, we hurt. And there's pain. 
But why does this matter? Because unless we understand these terminologies in the scriptures, we read, yes, God's loving here, but then I read about his wrath and he's not, how, does, how do I equate the two? In fact, I talked to somebody this week and they, you know, I was sharing them about the dancing God and they said just that, but God, what about, I mean, but, but Nathan, what about the other side of God? The wrath and this and that. Read the scriptures. I mean, look at Romans 1.18. Again, put it up again. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness. In other words, allowing man to go their own way. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What's the truth about you and I? You're a son. You're a daughter. And when we suppress that truth, that knowledge, that understanding that we are irrevocably accepted, we do a whole lot of negative things. We turn to substance abuse, sexual adventure, and all kinds of things to prove we have value. Maybe we work 70 to 80 hours a week so that somebody will see that I have value. But when we understand that we're a son and a daughter, there's no need to find value. We have the value in the Father. See, this is why this parable is so powerful. Because Jesus is screaming from the rooftops and he's saying, no God. And this is how, what he looks like. He's not a divine legalist. He, he's not a trigger-happy judge with one finger on the trigger and you're over a trap door that he's going to pull. If you make a mistake, that's not who he is. And I would propose that, yes, God's wrath is in this parable. But you see, wrath is a picture of God's love. He allowed people to go their own way. That's love. But he never stopped believing that they'd return. What a God. I mean, what a God. This is amazing God that we serve. Amen? Makes you want to jump out of your skin and say, wow, I see it on the pages of the scriptures. I see that God's not angry and judgmental, but he's loving and kind. And even though he lets me go my own way, he's waiting on the balcony of heaven, waiting for me to come back. And before I utter one word of remorse, he's embracing me. And you know, sometimes we can say, well, that's good for those who have yet to meet Christ. But what about those who have met Christ? No, it's no different. The son was, by the way, this son, you could call him more likely, he was someone who knew, knew the father and then left the father, right? He was in the son. So it's like a Christian that we quote unquote call backslidden today. In other words, God's not looking for the believer to prove themselves before he embraces and dances over them. That's why we say come to the Holy Communion, the table every Sunday, no matter where you're at in your life, because we have a God who dances if you'll just allow him to love you. Man, that's good. Come on, church, we can do a better hand clap for our loving Father than that. Let's lift the roof off. Can you handle one more? Wrath? Can we go on to holiness? How about that? Because these are things that trip us up. But God's holy. Surely he doesn't want to dance with me. By the way, I'm not, I, I'm not really a much of a dancer. But one thing I've discovered is, you know, I don't, like to, I, didn't, I, I don't like to dance. But one thing I've discovered is that I'm willing to dance, as a father, I'm willing to dance with my son. None of you will ever see it because I'm embarrassed by it. But I dance with him. I turn on the tunes because somebody's and the little kids, they like music. And I'll dance with him all over the place. That's a picture of the father who wants to dance with you. Come on. But anyhow, holiness, holiness, holiness. What about holiness? Now the scriptures say in 1 Peter chapter 1, be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. So there is an, an exact, uh, we are uh, told to be holy, to live holy. And yes, I would say that the result of holiness is living free. Free from the works of the flesh, free from bondage, free from the effects of sin. But I would say that holiness is the result. Those are the result of holiness. It's not holiness itself. The word holy means to be, we've taught this a lot, so I'm not going into too much depth, but the word holy means to be set apart, 
set apart like a special vessel, like a fine china. It's set apart for something unique, something special. This is what the word holy means. So when God says, be holy for I am holy, God is saying, first he says, I am holy. So God is saying, I am, I'm set apart. I'm set apart. Well, who is God? Ask your neighbor, who is God? We know this. God is love. It's the essence of who he is. And so when, this is an, this, this message of be holy for I am holy is actually, it's an amazing promise. Because it's God saying, I have set myself apart. I am holy. I've set myself apart. I've set myself apart to be who I am, to love you. See how false religious lives have so twisted these terminologies to something that we are afraid of. And the reality is God says, I'm holy. I'm set apart to love you. I've set myself apart. I'll never stop loving you. God's holiness is for us, not against us. So when God says, you be holy, what does that mean for us? You be holy. I be holy. It means set yourself apart to be loved by God. Set yourself apart to be loved by the Father. You see, and when we set ourselves apart to be loved by the Father, there's a lot of good fruit that follows. But holiness itself is not the fruit. Holiness is this thing of relationship. Holiness isn't about legal terms. I've got to satisfy God's holy demands and then he'll accept me. That's not holiness. It's about relationship. Holiness is about relationship. It's an invitation to this party of a father who dances in love and celebration because you're accepting his love. Man, that's that good. You see, we oftentimes, i got to be cognizant of the father, I'm getting too excited here because i got kids coming to sing to us. But, you know, we've too often allowed Hollywood to define holiness for us. And when they define holiness, they define it as religious fuddy-duddies who are boring, who can't party, who can't have a good time, and just are against everything. Those are the people that Jesus came to just squash and say, you're believing a lie. Don't allow Hollywood to define what holiness is. That's not holiness. Holiness looks like Luke chapter 15, dancing and celebration and relationship and receiving love and, and being turned around. But see, by the way, what turned the son around? The younger son. He went his own way, right? And he, did, he lived you know, a riotous life. He wasted everything that he had. He, he was with prostitutes and all kinds of garbage, right? What turned him around? The father's love. You see, when we live in relationship, holiness, be holy for I am holy. In other words, be set apart to be loved by God. When you don't feel lovable, be set apart to be loved by God. When you've made a mistake, be set apart to be danced over, to be loved by God. Is this making sense? I mean, be holy is an invitation to a party. Is this good news celebration, church? I'm enjoying myself up here. See, but like... Like, 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 like the older, you know, people have a hard time accepting this. You told, a, you told most people, you know, again, I know we preach this a lot here at TICC, so we, we accept it more readily. But you preach this outside of these four walls, man, they call you a, 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 a outright, you know, heretic. A God who dances? That holiness is an invitation to relationship? Come on. But, 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 it's the only cure. 
It is the only cure to, to the broken heart. You see, we try so many things, and we try religious rituals and routines to try and find acceptance with God. It only makes the hurt, it only makes the lack of acceptance grow deeper. And, but you see, unfortunately, a lot of people today are like the older brother in the story. And he lived with his father, never left his father, and yet he never came to grips with who he was. Never. A stock dove and an angry salt refused to join in. You see, you can grow up in church your whole life. You can hear this message your whole life. But until you come to grips with who the father is, you're never going to enjoy it. That's the reality. And this older brother, he didn't get it. He said, I wish you had given me my inheritance like when you did the younger brother. Newsflash, he had already given it. But then he said, you know, you've never thrown a party for me and my friends. See, the older brother missed the whole point. The point was to party with the father and then the friends join in. He didn't even want to, he didn't even think the, the father partied. So he said, I want to have a party with my friends. He missed the whole point. Missed the whole point. But you see, when we get it, when we realize that he, who he is, and I, and, and, I, and I don't have time, but, you know, you can go throughout the Old Testament. i got to skip some verses there, by the way, Joel. You're doing a great job. Skip over all of Hebrews. we got another Sunday. You know, we read the Old Testament and we think, you know, it's a different God. It's not a different God, but I, for sake of time, we can't go there today. But I started by saying the evil one, his main objective is to tamper with our acceptance. To get us doubt, to doubt the character of God. And, uh, and like a fish out of water. When we're out of acceptance, we go wild. We do all kinds of crazy stuff. But when we live knowing that we've been identified with Christ, accepted by the Father, everything changes. Kids are getting excited back there. So I, that's a sign i got to wrap up. But you see, when we don't get it, we, we try to fix it. We try to fix it. We try to fix it. The heart that's insecure, it's full of fear, we... We, you know, what do we do? We, we do. It's very ineffective. We try religious rituals. Karl Barth, who was a Swiss Reformed theologian, he, one of the greatest Protestant theologians of the 20th century, he said, the life of man becomes an unbroken chain of movements dictated by his anxious desire for assurance or acceptance. And when we don't have this place of acceptance in our heart, we turn to people, maybe a husband or a wife, and we say, fulfill me, accept me. They're never going to be able to. That's the problem. We only found in the, the Father. Or we turn to some type of substance to placate. Or worst of all, we turn to religion. And we think if we do more, do more, do more, do more, do more, then God will do it. And it breathes this kind of Christian in insecurity. And it shows itself in our prayer. Will God answer my prayer? The son, let's go back to the parable. The son didn't even have to utter a prayer. The father was already answering it. Did the son need to do anything more for the father to have a party? He didn't have to do a thing. We were created for acceptance. Amen? And here's the good news, and then I'm almost done. We, weren't, we, do, we are not on our own in living this life of saying, well, how do I do it? No, watch this. The, the scriptures say, Romans chapter 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and it's not a mistake that the Spirit has been called the Spirit of adoption and the Spirit of truth, because the, the Holy Spirit is with us 24-7, and he is, he is screaming, and he's whispering in whatever way you want it, and he is saying the truth about you is that you are a son, you are a daughter, and as a son, as a daughter, you have an inheritance. 
And that inheritance is of health, of wellness, of everything that you need. Watch the 2 Corinthians. I hear the kids. They're coming in to take over the platform. i got to hurry up. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Question, what is God's glory? It says we're transformed by it, so what is it? Well, the word means, and we've taught this before, so I'm not going to go into that. The word, Greek word is doxa, and the word means opinion. So the glory of the Lord is God's opinion. So where do we find God's opinion today? In Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is God's good opinion about you. Christ Jesus says you are accepted, you are beloved, you are a son, you are a daughter. Notice what the scripture says. We are transformed from glory to glory. In other words, as we experience and as we come to grips with God's good opinion. You say, well, why do we have to be progressive? I want it all at once. It's because our minds, like the older brother, have a hard time accepting it. But the spirit works with us in our weakness because our minds have been darkened. We can't accept how good the father is. But the spirit comes and he works with us, taking us from one good opinion of the father to another good opinion of the father to another good opinion of the father. And as we come to grips and as we come to an understanding and revelation of these good opinions of the father about us, as we come to grips that he likes us, that he, that he adores us, that he's proud of us, our lives don't stay the same, but they are transformed. Amen. That's why Paul said, and I'm done preaching, notes away, got to leave half of them up here, but anyhow, there's another Sunday. That's why Paul said, I pray the eyes of your understanding be open, that you understand experientially the height, the width, the depth of his love. Love transforms. The scripture says that faith works by love. We all want faith, right? What's as easy as just experiencing his love? Faith works by love. We, wanna, we want fear out of our lives, right? Perfect love, God's love, expels all fear. See, the Father, the Spirit is with us right now, drawing us to the Father. That's the point of the Spirit. He's saying, look at Jesus. In Jesus, you see God's opinion about you. Your son, your daughter, you have an inheritance. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I thank you today for your love. And just before our children's choir come, let's, let's, let me just ask two questions. Number one, maybe you're here today and you see yourself, you look at the older brother and you see how he, he tried through his, you know, he thought through his efforts or through his, through his behavior or through his good works he could gain acceptance with the Father. It was a lie. And, and if you feel that, you know, there's areas you say, well, if I do such and such, if I fast a certain amount, then God will answer my prayer. I'm asking you today, like, like the older brother needed to do, repent. Repent means to change your mind. Change your mind about who the Father is. Accept his love. But maybe you're here today and you say, I, I more relate with the younger son. I'm in a place in my life where, you know, I've gone astray. I've lived a wayward life. I've squandered everything that I have. Can I, with heads bowed and eyes closed, can I tell you that might be true? And I, and I ask you to look squarely in, into that reality. It's, it's, it's a reality. But then at the same time realize that, your father, that the God is still your father despite who you've been in your life. And you see, when you, we can understand that he still loves despite whatever we've done, that's an unconditional love. And that, when we understand we unconditionally, you know, no human can love us un unconditionally. As good as the love of our, of our spouse, the love of our friends or family is, then it's never fully unconditional. God's love is unconditional. And when we understand that, something beautiful happens in our lives. 
And so today the scriptures tell us that how do we, how do we come to that knowledge is simply by believing on Jesus, that he is who he said he was, that he is the son of God. And he came to show us the father's attitude, the father's mind towards us. And when we accept that, we understand that he is, he, he, we're not looking for forgiveness, he's already forgiven. Our place is just to say yes, include me in the father's love. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, in a moment I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand to say, yes, Nathan, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to say yes to the Father's love. I want to experience it today. All across this room with our church, most of those of you who are regulars here, we're praying. That they, people, people say yes. This is the Father's heart. This is why Jesus came, just so that people could understand this the heart of the Father. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, yes, Nathan, I want to believe on Christ. I want to say yes to the Father's love. Include me in that prayer. Just lift your hands up wherever you're sitting right now, all across this room. Every Sunday, hands going up. And thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you for that hand back there. Keep praying, Celebration Church. It's a beautiful time of the service. Beautiful time. Okay, you can take your hands down. Let's everybody pray with those who have lifted their hands. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing the Father that we are forever accepted. Right now I confess, I can't do life on my own. I need you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for showing me the Father. I believe that you came to take my sin. You died on the cross. You rose again. You're alive today. Right now I receive your life. I receive your love in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give Jesus a big, big, big shout of thanks. Come on, church. Oh, come on. Let's celebrate. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I, I congratulate you. I say thank you. You know, the scriptures say, well, we just read the story. The Father is celebrating, dancing, because you said yes. And I want to give you an invitation to keep coming back here. Uh, kids, get ready back there, by the way. I've heard you back there for a while. I apologize for keeping you waiting. It is only 12 o'clock, so don't, don't, don't anybody run anywhere. Our kids have prepared something really special. So get the soundtrack ready. Kids, get ready. Alex, why don't you move this, this podium out of the way so we see the kids. By the way, if you parents, if you want to come up and get pictures of your kids, feel free. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah. So, but let me say, if you prayed with me today, get, please go to our Welcome Center. That's where our visitors are going. But go to our Welcome Center and get our salvation book so that we can put this literature in your hands so you can discover more of God's love. And I want to invite you to keep coming back here to the Celebration Church. Give us a year of your life. You'll find that this message of God's goodness, it transforms, it, it effortlessly transforms negative things in our lives into, into beauty. Amen? Now, so, and it, it, give me one second. I want to bring these, see, I want you to see your precious children's faces. I'm going to bring the mics right up.